0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 170. Um, Right at the top here, I'll just make a little announcement that um, I have some new writing up on my website, a new um, essay um, that feels creative and I feel proud of it. Um, And, you know, kind of a little little catch up on the secret research that I'm doing um, for whatever this next album is going to be. I actually have a pretty good idea. But um, like I said, doing research. And I've got to finish the research before I can start writing the music. That's just, it's just the string I'm pulling on with this one. So yeah, go check out that essay. It's on my website, emilymerrillmusic.com. Yeah, gosh, here we are in the present day. It's like the middle of February. Actually, the Super Bowl is happening right now while I'm recording this. Andrew went to a Super Bowl party and I was like, well, I think I feel like I want to be introverted at home so that's what I'm doing. Um, you know, all of my projects continue to just delight me and puzzle me and challenge me in all kinds of different ways. Um, so far, 2024 feels very rich, um, you know, just very dense. I feel like a lot is happening. Um, and one of the things that's happening is, so Aaron my friend who you'll hear from today. Um, Aaron and I went to college together. We haven't lived in the same place since 2012 when I moved to Utah. Um, but, uh, we stayed in touch. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that we've stayed in touch and Aaron owns a really cool company called vocal mist. Um, maybe you've heard of it. Actually, if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you've definitely heard of it because, um, I used to run a little advertisement for Vocalmist. Um, but anyway, it's a it's a it's a personal nebulizer for singers and people who use their voices. You'll hear more about it in in the episode, but um But uh, just a few weeks ago, um, Aaron reached out to me and asked if I would come on board um, the Vocal Miss team as like a social media consultant person. So uh, what I'm actually doing is running, I'm moderating the Facebook group. So, you know, just talking about vocal health and um, technique and it's a place for singers and voice voice users of all kinds. Um, So I'm excited about that. Just a new project to be working on um, a new kind of community to be a part of. Um, and yeah, it was the, the day that Aaron messaged me, it, it was on my to-do list for, I think like maybe that week to re-listen to our episode. So just the timing just felt so interesting. Um, but of course this conversation happened, um, you know, six months ago as per usual. Um, Aaron and I get into so many of my favorite topics in this interview we talk a lot about identity um and kind of you know what it is what it isn't how you know Aaron shares some great philosophies about how he thinks about identity and kind of where it's important and where it's important to um, sort of detach from identity in certain ways. Um, we talk just a lot about um like purpose and um yeah just, I, I want to like pull up my notes. Um, yeah, we talk a bunch about creativity. Um, my, I have took so many notes on this conversation, so I couldn't like possibly tell you. Um, but yeah, lots of things about um, kind of just keeping yourself experiencing new things. That sort of paradigm shifty stuff that I love so much. Um, kind of, you know, how to, how to challenge yourself, how to kind of feel which types of resistance, um, are your resistance and which type of resistance is like, you know, maybe this is telling you this isn't your path, um, which, you know, these are fascinating topics. So, so I hope you love the episode. Um, before we dig into it, um, I want to read you Aaron's bio. So you have just a little bit more information about him before diving in. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. Aaron Schumacher is a dynamic vocalist, music director, and entrepreneur based in Los Angeles. Known for his technical expertise and in innovative approach, Aaron serves as the soprano and technical director for Impact, a globally celebrated vocal group renowned for their authentic and powerful vocal performances. As an entrepreneur, Aaron founded Vocal Mist, a company offering specialized vocal health tools used by top artists like Lizzo, the Jonas Brothers, her, and Penn. He also studies he also owns ASM Productions, which provides premium audio and lighting services for live music events in Southern California. Aaron has a rich background as a commercial recording artist, contributing to high-profile projects like The Voice, Dune, and Mulan. His versatility across genres such as pop, jazz, and rock makes him a sought-after performer and MC for events across the U.S. Since 2016, Aaron has also worked as the music director for Top Shelf Vocal, a diverse and award-winning adult vocal group in Los Angeles, where he brings together individuals from various career fields through their shared love for music. With a degree in vocal jazz studies from the University of North Texas, Aaron's journey from Ennis, Texas, to becoming a key figure in Los Angeles's music scene highlights his passion and dedication to the art of vocal music. Yeah, that is really true and very well said. And yes, I think maybe you know this is part of why Aaron and I have just were fast friends and have always been friends. We have a similar drive and a similar kind of determination and you know a uh, single-minded focus to kind of getting where we want to go and I'm just I'm so proud of everything that Aaron has accomplished um it's wonderful to see him just be on the path that he's on um, and just so happy to be his friend and to be you know in the orbit it's just it's it's wonderful to see my creative friends living beautiful creative, robust vibrant lives it's just the fucking best all right everybody i think you're going to really love this conversation between me and aaron schumacher here comes great art almost feels like magic it opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly of course behind all great art there are artists and i think that's where the real magic happens As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Aaron, I haven't seen you since your wedding. Oh
1: my God, that's right. Yeah. That's too long. Okay, now now you're coming through my headphones. And now that should be a better mic. Yeah.
0: Great. Yep. Sounds beautiful.
1: All right. We're we're
0: actually coming to California for a week tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Are you going to come hang out with me? me? Wedding season. Well, we won't have a car, but we'll be in San Diego. So. Ah, okay. Gotcha. You and Gabby want to come hang out with me.
1: (laughs) You can. I would love to hang out with you. Uh, San Diego might be hard, but I'll I'll keep, I'll keep the calendar (laughs) open for it.
0: (laughs) You know, it's like. Um, we're just like lounging at the beach for a week, you know, oh. mid wedding season. Badass,
1: mid wedding. Yeah, like I, you don't you don't have a lot of weddings going on right now.
0: No, I mean like a, there are so many fucking weddings going on right now, oh. and so I have to escape and put myself in some sand and in some salt water for. Are you going crazy? A couple of days. Yeah, this time of year it's weird. I'm. I don't know if you feel the same way. I mean, I know you're doing a lot of that. You're you're still doing a lot of weddings, right?
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. doing a fair bit. Main, yeah. Mainly, I mean, not not like a producer you know, I'm not dealing with clients directly. So
0: yeah, it's very different. It's so much. And then also, we have so much travel, like we're in Jackson Hole, we're in Wyoming, or we're in Montana. And Mm -hmm. so because I'm like in a different place, like nearly every weekend, I start feeling this time of year, like, my identity gets very, like, who am I? Where am I? What am I doing? You know? So, yeah. So oh, going, fun. going to California for a week, like just getting my body in the ocean. I've learned that it's important for
1: yeah, wedding season. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, yep. how are you? Gotta get those
1: negative ions.
0: Yes. I don't know what it is, but I know that like, like, uh, reconnecting with the ocean just feels, feels important to me.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Agreed. You know, I have heard, um, I heard somebody comment that part of why the ocean feels so good besides the whole negative ions caused by water moving around and that's helps your system. And that is true. It's like lower, lowers like oxidative stress on your system, but, but also that it's one of the few times in your normal world where you see something that doesn't have a defined edge. And so like when you see a horizon and there's like objectively, like seemingly nothing there except like the meeting of sky and ocean, it like, forces your brain to like, consider limitlessness.
0: Yeah, it's like
1: meditative. in that way, there's
0: really something to it. And yeah, like just being, I don't know, there's like a humility and kind of just being like, yeah, like you said, like this kind of small thing and a big thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, it's just nice. It's good. It's good for me. It's good for my brain and my body. Well, Aaron, Don't. I have been wanting to interview you for this podcast for a long time. I've been doing it for like four years and I've just been kind of waiting for like the moment that I get this feeling that like it's Aaron time and it feels like that now. So, <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that I've kind of been thinking about a lot, like with the podcast and just like in my own brain mm-hmm. is kind of the the porousness between art and science and all the other things that we're doing. And I know that that kind of stuff is right up your alley like I think you're one of the only people that I know that's more curious than I am so, um, or you know the same amount of curious as I am maybe I don't sure. know yeah. um but uh but regardless I'm just excited to pick your brain about all the things you're interested in And feel open to going on literally any tangent on any subject that you want. Great, Great.
1: I'm excited Um, to hang with you too. Do you have any
0: Do you have any questions before we start, or before I mean, we're kind of starting Um, already, but any questions before we really dig in?
1: Not really. I think. um, No, I'm just looking at your PDF right quick. Oh, great. I mean, I think. I'll let I'll let you lead some stuff and we'll right. take as many tangents as we want. I'm really curious, you know, what kind of things you want to talk about with me, because I, I, you know, having listened to a few episodes of your podcast, I don't necessarily know that I live in the same kind of creative space with a lot of the people that you've talked about. So it's that's why it's time. That's why.
0: That's why it's the right time. Um, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. And but you know, you're one of the most creative people that I know. And you have such a creative mind, like you're, you're just curious. And like I was kind of started saying this before, but maybe I can give a little bit more background. I've been really fascinated in the last year or so with like the idea that we are expending creative energy to ask questions, you know, Mm -hmm. like it, it takes creativity to ask questions. It takes creativity to be curious. And you're so good at like both of these things. Like you're very creative taking things in and you're very creative in your output. Um, So yeah, like art, science, philosophy, like we can talk Mm -hmm. about the gut microbiome. We can talk about artificial intelligence. We can talk about whatever (laughs) the hell you want. So I'll lead, but also like if there's something that you want to like elaborate on, please Mm -hmm. just go for it. Okay. So I always like to start by talking with people about kind of the development of their creativity and or the discovery of their creativity. So tell me what you were like as a creative child. What were you up to?
1: Hmm. As a creative child... I think because I didn't get involved in music really until probably like high school, more seriously college, um, I don't know that I was an inherently creative child. I can remember a few things that I was proud of. Um, I remembered that in like second grade, we had a show and tell project, like a DIY show and tell. And I decided that I was going to make a time machine. So I took a circuit board out of the back of some old computer Amazing. And hot glued a bunch of wires to random places and brought it to school and told people it was a time machine, and that's about. <laughs> I think that's about the extent of my creativity.
0: So it's always um, been kind of like art and science both. Like you've always kind of been like kind of interested in both. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think I got more interested in science as an adult, cool. um, largely kind of following me leaving a more like evangelical background. Mm-hmm. So I think I I grew up in a scenario where. People seem to have answers for everything. And then when I realized that those answers weren't going to suffice for me, I had to kind of like start at ground zero in terms of like building up my understanding of the world. Well, and, you know, you know
0: I'm, I'm right there with you. I was actually yes. just talking about this with Andrew a few days ago. Like for me, it's it's my understanding of the world and also like my morality. Like I find mm-hmm. myself like in the present day, like this week, like thinking, you know, so much about like, yeah, just these these kind of broad, broad unanswerable questions about like what it means to be ethical it's a it's an immense it's it's this it plagues me like it's you know it's every it's every single day Like trying to kind of understand the world
1: yeah and I think with the you know kind of creativity angle that your podcast is kind of based around I think it's interesting to you know I know we're both like in our 30s or um where like the older, not necessarily the older you get, but the more you go through life, no, you know, seeing your life change and knowing that like constructing your life is kind of a creative enterprise in itself. Kind of one of the bigger ones. The biggest. So your ability to evolve and move and let yourself feel different things and let your morality develop and let your kind of ethical framework develop, that those are kind of creative growth pursuits. Absolutely. And it's also like, like with a lot of music, a lot of music creativity is getting out of your own way. And so in developing your own mindset and framework and ethics and worldview, a lot of it's also, yeah. Yeah. Not forcing yourself to like, you know, bare knuckle reality, but just letting yourself kind of feel and experience whatever it is.
0: Totally. Totally. I'm totally with you. And yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel really strongly about the idea that, you know, again, creativity isn't the arts. It's not making products. It's not, you know, it's, it's this ephemeral, it's, it's more like an experience than like a mm-hmm. thing. So with that in mind, like, Aaron, I'm sure you were always a creative child. So like, just in terms of like your play, in terms of how you're taking things in, like, you know, are you reading books as a little kid? Are you watching, you know, are you listening to music? Are you, Um, consuming media? Like, are you thinking about your world? Like, you know, just when you think about like your, your creative adulthood, um, and you think about like, what those kind of, you know, synapses firing feels like to you now? Mm -hmm. Where was that in your childhood? You know, I think
1: some of the times where I feel most flow Mm statey, as an adult, I remember doing that as a kid, like mainly once I got into music scenarios, less to do with like, uh, less to do with like creating media or like writing a song right. or Having organizing yeah. an event or something but more to do with like when you're in the moment playing music with people yeah. and just like like dropping all semblance of shame and dropping every like kind of like yes. pre-organized conception you're just like doing a thing
0: presence
1: yeah mm-hmm. and i think when when i get into those mind when i get into that kind of flow then little creative decisions pop out so it's like, oh, I'm going to sing this note or I could go up for a second. Oh, let me just like, you know, growl into this a little more. Or let me kind of do something with the mic. Like all of a sudden little possibilities become micro choices.
0: About, really? Like I, I deeply relate, but I've never, I've never articulated that like that or, or heard anybody articulate it like that. Like mm-hmm. hearing you say that is making me be like, that's totally what it is. I I completely feel that. And you know, for me, this is actually something that I feel burdened about sometimes um, mm-hmm. because I'm not I'm not like I don't love improvising like a lot of our peers do. Sure. But I'm after that thing that you're talking about. Like, that's the thing that makes me interested in like a, an improvisational type of a mindset. For me, it's less about like, oh, these licks, like these chord tones and more like I love so much getting that type of presence where i do feel like those micro choices are right there for me and Mm -hmm. you're so right like sometimes it's a note thing sometimes it's a rhythm thing sometimes it's like let me just like articulate this a little differently or like you know do a little bit different of a of a a vibrato yeah like those micro like little nuance things are so satisfying like yeah i i totally i i've never really talked about that with anybody but i i Mm. really relate um I think that's I
1: mean, my favorite for sure. Just because yeah. it's, I th- I remember, I think one of my earlier musical experiences was with like this Christian band, like playing in high school, it's a worship band, that kind of scenario. Yeah. And this was in a, you know, this was in a time where I didn't understand harmony. I didn't understand chords. I barely understood notes. Yeah. Um. My ear hadn't developed, my musical knowledge hadn't developed. It was just very much like a you know, turn the guitar amp to 10 and practice in somebody's attic. Sure, sure. Um, it was, what was
0: that like? I mean, oh, what was, was the punk. motivation back then? Like, how did it start? Like, t- tell me how it started. How did you get into music?
1: Um, so I started off playing trumpet in like middle school doing kind of the marching band, the band scenario. Thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And i sorry, quick, quick, like mm-hmm. quick, one other question. Sure. Was it kind of like, Hey, Aaron, all the kids in the family do trumpet or did you choose band or like all the kids in the fam in the family do band, not trumpet? I think, um, or how did, how did it, how did you do it?
1: Sure. It I, I think school wise we were kind of given the decision of like when you hit seventh grade, you're able to go music or art, or you're able to go athletics and you're able okay. to start kind of prying that. And there was a time where I decided here I am like, eighth grade you know seventh eighth grade yeah. guy it's like yeah. all my friends play football I'm gonna play football yeah. so I signed up to play football um and I got about three days into the season into like yeah. the I want to say practice I almost said rehearsals. Oh, like, rehearsal
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I'm not <laughs> three like, days I felt into
1: it. yeah three days into practice and there was just uh you know there's a there's an athletic energy with how people like build each other up. So we're running, I'm running through tires and they're slapping me on the head and, and like, yeah, go, go, go. And it was just like so much more aggro than I had experienced in a positive way, looking back. But at that time I was like, I was like, Oh no, 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 this is not the thing for me. So I talked with my band directors and I was able, I was already playing in band, but I was able to sign up for a second band period and they kind of made an, an exception for me. It was the first time they did it. In terms of like having an assistant, like I was like the band director assistant mm-hmm. in my extra period.
0: And you, um, you like advocated for that for yourself, kind of.
1: I think I was complaining to a band director, and she yeah. took pity on me and was like, "You know, but you seem into music. Let's get you more into music."
0: How did she know you were into music? Like, I have, I have more questions. Like, I must have a better idea of like the milieu. Um, um, tell me more.
1: I don't know. I think it was just. I think it was just kind of exciting. I don't know if I really you structured a lot it. of thought about it okay. yeah I I mean I listened to back then I was just listening to a bunch of like ska in Dixieland sure. stuff so as a trumpet guy you know I had like a Louis Armstrong album and a Maynard Ferguson album sure. and I was listening to a bunch of Christian ska music like pre-punk like um, really
0: though like how did you have a Maynard Ferguson album like this doesn't seem obvious to me that like a child in like rural texas like how did you how did you have that like is sure. there music? are there musicians in your family like so
1: so my dad is a musician okay. um I don't think he's me- a mechanic by trade okay. uh but plays bass and also played trumpet in like high school college
0: okay so you had some like jazz exposure in fam a, a
1: little bit He's he's it? not much of a not necessarily a ton of jazz but enough to be like oh you want to play trumpet here are some great trumpet players yeah.
0: I mean, I I think it's not nothing like, you know, I I've told this story on the podcast a million times, but like when I was in high school, I wanted to audition for like the top choir in my high school, which was Mm -hmm. like a a jazz choir. And I was like, what's jazz? And like went to Barnes and Noble and went in like the jazz section and just like bought some random shit because I was like, I had no idea because my parents like completely unaware of this entire genre. No one in my family is aware of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, th- this is why I'm curious. Cause I, I think, I think so often like m- my kind of working theory is like all children are creative to some extent, but I think some children kind of come into the world with a different type of a hunger, <laughs> like just mm-hmm. something like there's a need there. There's a curiosity there or something. And then I think a lot about like medium and like, is art do our, are our mediums, you know, I talk to some artists who will be like, it was going to be cello or it was going to be nothing. Or like, Mm. I just was a dancer, like in my soul, I'm a dancer. But then I think for a lot of us, and I'm imagining that you're more like me in this way, I think it's like, you're going to gravitate to whatever mediums are sort of in your, that are available to you. And, you know, it's kind of more about the environment than. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: think so. I think, um, a big thing, maybe for people in general, but I, and I agree with you, like kids are, kids are curious, kids are creative. And then we kind of develop strategies for either restricting or siphoning or directing that kind of energy. Um, a big thing for me was that like, I had uh, a fascination with novelty. Like if something, if something was just like, just kind of weird or kind of interesting, or You know, and then once I was a teen, it was anti-authority, like if it was kind of bitey or aggressive. Aaron,
0: tell me everything. Like, I promise that like the things that you're going to say are like, these are the things that I like must talk about with you. Like this, this thing of like this thing for like this novelty thing, Mm -hmm. tell me everything about it. Like, tell me, tell me why, like, where does it come from? Like, what is it? What was it when you were a kid? Like, I'm, I love this. Sure. Um. (laughs) I think that I think I'm kind of the same. I think I I think I get this. But tell me tell me from your perspective.
1: I don't like watching a movie twice. I don't like reading a book twice. Um, I've done I've done it on occasion. But the I think there's just like so much stuff out there that it almost feels like irresponsible of me to to like languish and just like the things that not na- the things that are like absolutely comfortable right it, I, it, it becomes more invigorating to just like do new shit
0: i'm um, so the same <clears throat> like the it, this sense of like irresponsibility like i i deeply relate i yeah. when i find myself as an adult exposed to something new i'm like i get i almost feel guilty like why haven't i had this before sure I haven't experienced this before Mm -hmm. um yeah like just a sense as a little kid even that there's more yeah yeah
1: yeah, I think so I think that really opened up for me once I like entered college because I had um so like some of my early musical experiences I was playing trumpet I started playing guitar and bass and low drums and kind of doing the punk band thing and then my town that I grew up in was super heavy into like Czech and German heritage. So we had yeah. a lot of polka music in us, Texas. Yeah, baby. Ines. Home of the national polka festival <laughs> Memorial well, day. You weekend. know, Aaron,
0: I polked with you at your wedding.
1: Hell yeah, you did. Yeah.
0: I, would <laughs> I appreciate love photos. That. I would love photos of
1: that. <laughs> I'll send you some.
0: Yeah, please do. Um,
1: so in polka, um, because it's so much like community style music, and this happens in a lot of like folk type music, people don't like, necessarily play an instrument and stick to it all the time. They play something and then they, a few songs later, they jump to piano. A few songs later, they jump to trumpet. A few songs later, they jump to accordion. Yeah. So everybody kind of, you know, like people have their, their strengths, but it's kind of opened up in terms of the seriousness with which you take the music. Everybody knows that you're just there to drink and have a good time.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. So
1: that, that got to reward the novelty for me quite a bit because I could play trumpet and I could sing backgrounds or I could sing lead or I could play some piano or play some guitar, you know, depending on the song. And so it was just Mm -hmm. enough for me to, like, flirt with all these little different things and keep keep it new for me. And then once I got to college, you know, it was like, oh, shit, there's jazz and there's funk and there's rap and there's all this all this other stuff that
0: I remember. Yeah.
1: yeah, I freaked out.
0: I remember. I, I mean, I remember you. Like, I was just telling Andrew this morning because he was like, "What are you doing today?" And I was like, "I'm interviewing Aaron." And you know, Andrew loves you, and he's like, "What?" I love it. Everything. Yeah, I, yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. We we have a lot of love in our little friendship, little little group. Heck yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, I was just telling Andrew. Like, I mean, I met I met you when you were like. 18 like i think right like right mm-hmm. when you went you were were you in singers that first your first year
1: so i was in singers my second year
0: okay so you were 19 so,
1: yeah i was 19 uh or i was i was just about to turn 19 the basically i was trying to i was doing the music ed track so i was on track to be a band director yeah starting my second year and i was for the sake of novelty i was playing in the big bands yeah. at north texas and yeah. so for me I auditioned in uh, my first year, I auditioned in on trumpet and I made out of 44 trumpet players in that program, I placed 43. So, (laughs) yeah. So I was playing in the nine o'clock lab band. I was playing, uh, I think, second or third chair um, and having an absolute blast. It was my first time playing big band stuff. I didn't know what chords were were. I didn't know what jazz was. I had to take a solo once and I was like, just, just, just fucking winging it. Um, But
0: because I was,
1: yeah, well, because I was in that big band, that meant that I was on the email list for the jazz program. And because I was on that email list, my sophomore year, the next year, um, it happened to be that the vocal program didn't have enough guys to complete their main singers group. Yeah. So I got an email that was directed to all of the jazz, pro- all of the people on that list yeah. saying, you know, if you are, if you sing on the side or if you're interested in, you know, developing more tools for you, for your life as an educator, then feel free to sign up and audition. Cool. Um, yeah. And it was total fucking luck too, because sorry, can I curse? Is that all? Right? Yes, yeah, please. Great.
0: I want you to be the exact Aaron Schumacher that you are.
1: Fucking Beautiful. <laughs> um so I had a friend who really wanted to audition for this jazz program, Jazz yeah. Singers. Yes. And she didn't know how to read music. So when it came time for auditions, she asked me if I would help her practice this music. And so I helped her learn a couple little songs. It was like satin doll, body and soul, just enough just yeah. for me to be able to rinky dink it on piano. Yeah. And For the audition process at the time, they only um, rather than making singers sight read their music, they would put a piece of music outside the door 24 hours ahead of the audition. Here's a brand new piece of music. Yeah, exactly. Go prepare it on your own time. So I helped her prep this music. Cool. Next day, the auditions happen. Um, I'm not planning on auditioning. The auditions happen. I find out that she bailed on her audition. (gasps) She got too nervous. (gasps) And I was like what the heck because we just spent three hours prepping her stuff the night yeah, before you were
0: like well I know it
1: well I didn't audition that was the first round and then a couple weeks later I got the email saying you know we need more guy singers so I signed up I went in and I sang satin doll and body and soul like the two songs that we had prepped for her yeah pretty sure I sang it in her key yeah. typical yeah. and then That's so funny the director at the time, this guy named uh, Dr. Tim Brent.
0: Tim Brent.
1: Yeah, what's up, Tim?
0: He, He's not going to listen to it.
1: I know. He. Uh, <laughs> I'll send this to him.
0: Okay.
1: He wanted to check my sight reading. So he turns around in this file of music and he starts flipping through pages like, what can I test him on? Yeah. And he pulls out the prepared excerpt that I had just worked on with this friend of mine two weeks prior. Yeah, I love it. And so he pulled this sucker out. And I didn't say a word. I took it as divine intervention. So I just read it down, just fully rehearsed. He thinks I'm sight reading. And so so in his brain, he's like, well, you know, he doesn't know anything about jazz, but he's good at reading and he's a tenor. Let's put him in the top group. Yeah. So so then I showed up to rehearsal with you, walked in and it's, you know, it's like 10 beautiful women singing beautiful chords. And I was like, I got to change my major. And I did.
0: That's so funny. Well, the way that I remember it, I mean, I was, I think a senior, I was, I know I was a senior that year. Mm -hmm. So I was finishing my bachelor's degree and then I was going to start my master's degree and uh, I was preoccupied. I mean, I think maybe, uh, was I dating Andrew by then? I don't think so. But, um, but I was distracted. But what I remember is that you were just, so positive you were so full of energy you were so eager i remember once you switched your major you did things like perform a corn song in your like vocal jazz little week you know friday recital day mm-hmm. um and i just like a, a a such a breath of fresh air such an independent soul um and yeah i mean I, you're an impossible person to dislike so that's how i remember it happening Um, And I'm so pleased that we have just managed to like, just stay in touch and like evolve, you know, together in these past, I've been away from Texas for 11 years now. How long have have you been out of Texas?
1: Nine years. Yeah, Yeah. I moved. Yeah, 2014. Crazy. Um,
0: Okay, before we like before we so, uh, you know, part of the reason why I like to talk about like childhood and teen years is, I'm really interested in like, human development. I'm interested in identity. I'm interested in, like you said at the beginning, like, you know, this idea that the biggest creative pursuit we have is our lives. And I'm, I love to talk to creative adults about how they did that. Like, especially in these kind of, you know, these years where we don't always have as much advocacy. Um, How do you manage to hold on to your identity how do you manage to develop your identity you know especially in like a religious context or so is there anything else it doesn't have to be like related to music or art at all but is there anything else um that feels important to you that, that you want to talk about about developing your identity kind of discovering yourself like as a child as a teen you know how did you get to like be the Aaron that you were, you know, when you mm-hmm. like arrived at North Texas.
1: Sure. Um, I like to joke that when I got to North Texas, that I was like, too stupid to self doubt. Okay. I love you it. You know, I love it, it was a little bit like, I was like, I, I had just sprung forth from, in my mind, like a, a like a, a more restrictive ideology. Sure. and showed up at school and there were all these new people and all these new things. And I think I was just like, like there were sparkles in my eyes for half of the things going on around me. And there and were,
0: I felt that way too, but with a, there a were, lot of self doubt as well. Yeah. yeah so that's
1: yeah, the yeah. Difference between well, us. I think, I think at some point I, I was such a shameful kid shameful. Like, um, I just carried so much shame with me. Like I was very sensitive. I would break down a lot. Um, that I think when I started entering adulthood a little bit, I recognized that the, like, I had the choice to completely ignore that. So a lot of my energy was uh, looking back, I can see that it was like almost subconscious where if, if shame started to pop up, I was like, I would just you redirect and ignore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um,
0: how did you a lot do of- that? I mean, how really like, really, like, where does that come from? Like, how, how did you have that, like, courage or I think, whatever it is to to do that? Or the, even the awareness? I think
1: when, um, I don't even know if it was really awareness. I think it might have been more that I loved really angry music.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really,
1: like, I loved punk stuff, emo stuff, and, yeah. you know, metal and grindcore. And um, just being able to just like turn, turn up something as loud as it can go in my truck and scream my guts out. I remember I used to practice screaming. I was like, I was so upset because I thought my voice was pretty. And I was like, maybe if I just scream a lot, I'll get that grit that I love in a lot of my singers. So I would do, so I would do that a bunch. Um,
0: so you were but thinking I think, about music, you were thinking about those nuances back then too. Like you were noticing things about voices, like you weren't maybe identifying, were you identifying as a singer? Like, were you like, I sing? Yeah, I then?
1: think I think a little bit. I think I tried to identify, and, and this comes to our, this will wrap up to our identity point in a second, but I really wanted to be a trumpet player because it was like the first thing for me. So there were times where, I had the choice to pursue trumpet or pursue vocal stuff. Yeah. And w- whenever I pursued trumpet, it would I would do okay, but I wouldn't quite I wasn't a top performer. Okay. But whenever I pursued pursued voice, I tended to excel a little bit more. And I think I think it was just part of how I was wired and my like absolute reluctance to practice or to spend like super codified yeah. prep time. The really great trumpet players I know, and that I knew at the time, were disciplined. You know, they weren't, you know, they weren't just bold, but they were like, you know, um...
0: Like regimented.
1: They are regimented, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Because that's just a, that's a tough instrument to just wing it totally. on. yeah. And so for me, I felt like there was just so much more ability for me to wing it on my voice that... Once I started prioritizing voice stuff, like doors started opening more, like it was clear that this was like, a little bit more aligned with who I was as as a person. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I love it. I mean, isn't that so much of what it is? Like, I feel this way in myself, so deeply, like, Mm -hmm. you know, for the first time kind of in my life, I'm really trying to ask myself, like, what is the path of least resistance and not? not in a way where it's like, there's not going to be any work because I mean, I love working. Like I Mm -hmm. love a challenge. Like there's something really satisfying about that. But in the sense of like, what work, what type of challenge am I suited for? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, putting myself like, like instead of trying to kind of like force my natural, you know, whatever my, my stuff to fit into a box that doesn't belong in, like, what if I just put like myself in the path of you know, I don't know what I'm, what I'm suited for. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a radical concept, but I, I totally, I totally feel that. And I also think, I think I knew that somewhere deep down in my gut when I was younger, otherwise I wouldn't have made it to Texas. So, I mean, I think there is, there has always been like a kind of an undercurrent of like, I think the path that's been laid out for me is wrong. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, But I think for a while, I tried to kind of like have a foot in both paths. And I think kind of, you know, in the last just couple of years, I think I'm kind of for the first time Mm -hmm. just thinking like, what if I just take my foot out of that other path entirely, which has been exciting.
1: There's a book that I read recently. It's called uh, Under a Clear White Sky.
0: I'm writing it down.
1: Do it. It is a book about kind of the future of environmentalism.
0: Mm.
1: Um, it, it's basically a book about the last half of the book is about climate change. The first half of the book is about historically, what does it looked like for humans to take on big projects to control the world around them? Mm-hmm. So we're talking, you know, uh, modifications to the Mississippi river, we're talking, you know, New Orleans infrastructure to keep it from just sinking into the sea. Yeah. Um, introduction of new species into American habitats that aren't native, but introdu- were introduced for a purpose.
0: For these kinds of yeah. things. Yeah.
1: And generally, the, the theme of the book that pops up, like once you start reading a few of these examples, you realize like that nearly every time that we've tried to over-engineer our environment, it's always it always the cost up front, even if it's high, always ends up being less than the cost to sustain it. So, the ability, let's say the uh, the cost of keeping New Orleans from just being absolutely flooded, that cost only increases more and more with time because you're fighting against nature every step of the way, and you can't hold the weight of the world up, you know, constantly, constantly. Yeah. So the um you know one of the messages of the book is is that you have to be willing to work within the confines of nature you have to be wi- willing like if you're trying to change things change things in ways that are still malleable don't try to don't try to put permanent things into our world that you just can't sustain against the weight of history because it's always going to fail um that makes so, much so sense yeah, so there's a there's a big thing under a clear white sky that where where the book ends up going, is describing possible interventions for keeping the planet to a reasonably cool level. Yeah, if we don't slow down carbon emissions, so one of the big, um, one of the big strategies, possible strategies that might actually be implemented, is the idea that if you take a bunch of planes up into the high, you know, as high as they can go into the atmosphere, and release tons and tons of essentially baking soda, wow. into the atmosphere, it can dissipate as a powder, and that white powder would effectively block a lot of the sunlight, so you're blocking sunlight from entering Earth's atmosphere. And by doing so, you're able to keep Earth from overheating. Yeah. Um, the issue with that is that once you start, you have to add more and more every time, And the cost to send planes up there to drop all this stuff off, you're also releasing carbon. So it's just become cyclical and it will be a cycle that builds upon itself. And it would actually, you know, if we started that cycle, it would result in a world in which the sky is no longer blue as the way we see it now because of the amount of particulate we've released into the atmosphere. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's crazy. And they actually make a pretty good argument that, out of all the things that are available to us with current technologies, um, that's probably the safest one to keep most of the people on the planet alive, alive and healthy. So, but even that's not sustainable. So anyway, just saying as it results, as it um, pertains, as it pertains to our conversations on identity and creativity and yada, yada, the, any effort that pits yourself against your world or reality in a way way that isn't self-sustaining or a way that isn't energizing ends up being unsustainable. So there were times where I tried to be an original music artist. There were times where I I decided I was going to start my own band. I was going to write my own songs. I was going to do the thing. But I found out that that process for me was so... I don't want to use the word triggering because I hate that word now, but it was so kind of triggering in that it was impossible for me to flow through the process without getting wrapped up in my own shame. And so, so what ended up happening is I, you know, upon taking like more of a inventory of how I operate and like building my own self-awareness, I realized that I got a lot more joy and energizing kind of function in my life when I, I let myself do what feels good, most of the time.
0: It's radical. I mean, it seems like it shouldn't be, but it is. I mean, th- this is this is some this is something that I have been talking about since the, I started this podcast. In other ways, but yeah, it's like there are there are these certain types of activities or certain types of thought processes or you know whatever that we value above others and mm-hmm. it's so ridiculous like I I mean I feel this way all the time e- even down to like you know something like practice you know we have such strict uh ideas in you know music in the music industry about Mm -hmm. what practice should look like how much should you do it are you a more valuable more moral more you know whatever type of person if you practice this right way if you practice every day Mm -hmm. um you know people get these ways about anything you can think of like these this kind of rigidity around like what are the shoulds you know and it's just i it's so um taxing i i feel it on my students and i'm so like I'm so about like this thing you're talking about of like. You're a creative, be creative, find where you want to be creative, find what you want to be doing, and like fuck the rules, like, you know, just like, just do it. But I also, like you, have had a problem with authority since I was a child. Um, how did that, yeah. like, how did you discover that you had an issue with authority, and like, what did that mean to you as like a, you know, as a youth?
1: Sure. Um. Huh. I think I was a generally pretty well behaved child and teen. Yeah. I mean, I got into a little bit of trouble, but and you know, some nothing too tip- atypical for a sixteen year old rural Texas male. Right. You know,
0: what else are you gonna do?
1: Yeah. Have some uh, beers.
0: I mean, honestly, Try I didn't even fast. drink.
1: I didn't drink. I drove quite fast. Yeah. I found out that if I could, um. I found out that I could set cruise control on my car. I could turn the volume all the way up, set cruise control, going straight down a long highway. And I could roll down my window and crawl out my window so that my butt is on the windowsill, but my upper body's on top of the car. And I would steer the truck with my knee while I was just like, while I just had fists in the air, just like. I'm I'm 0%
0: surprised by this, but still like as, as a, as a present day, 35 year old woman, I'm concerned. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you made, you survived. You didn't, you didn't die on a highway.
1: (laughs) Yeah, me too. Um, But generally speaking, I, I respected authority in, in as much as uh, I thought for the I thought it was the right thing to do.
0: I I'm i am we've never talked about this but I feel so the same I was like very well behaved I respected authority but I had a problem with authority like Mm -hmm. it was there for as long as I can remember like as a tiny little kid I just had questions Mm -hmm. and if I Mm -hmm. wasn't given satisfactory answers to those questions I was like not cool with it you know yeah and like also just had this kind of gut instinct of like But I don't want to do these things and I want to do these things. And my gut tells me like, this is interesting, even though I'm being told like I shouldn't be interested in this, you know, for me, like it feels I don't even know how to separate that feeling from like the thing I call my creativity. Like Mm -hmm. they feel so deeply intertwined, like whatever that like anti-authority thing is, is, it is the same name whereby like creativity, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like
1: that? Totally. Um, so here's here's a little story for you. I'm ready. When I, when I was in high school, I started enjoying music more. So I was playing in my little punk rock band. I was, you know, doing worship stuff at church. I was doing marching band trumpet stuff. And at some point, there was an event coming up, some sort of fundraiser event. It was going to be a, f- a football game out of, out of season. They were going to have this football game raise some money for whatever cause. And the organizers, the student organizers of this fundraiser came to the marching band. And they said, Hey, we're having this football game, raising money for a good cause. Could the band or a portion of the band do, you know, could they come to the football game and do the marching show and make it, you know, like a regular thing. And the band directors, you know, at my school told them, no, it's out of season. We're not going to, we don't do extra stuff like that. Yeah. And I was already aware at this point that I thought my band director's positions of authority, I thought I was coming to the re- realization that they were lazy and that, yeah. and they, and that they resented their jobs. Maybe yeah. not lazy is not the right, necessarily, necessarily they the right word.
0: Motivated. Or they weren't motivated.
1: Yeah. And, and they, and there was a sense of resentment towards the kids. So. Too bad. Yeah. So these students, knowing that me and some of my friends were the big band nerds in school, yeah. they came to us and said, Hey, can you secretly organize a marching band to perform at this event and I was I like, that. "Hell yeah." So, we started a group. We got like nearly we got like 50 kids to be in this secret marching band. We called it the Underground Band Syndicate. Oh my god. Um, I love it. And basically, we, you know, we needed music. So, first off, I found out like I needed to get music for the marching band yeah. and none of us had a lot of copies of our individual music. Cause they keep that. Right. But I found out that if I crawled through the ceiling at my high school, the walls only went up to ceiling height. So from the hallway outside the band room, I could crawl up through the ceiling, come down in the director's office, you get mission into their impossible
0: music, the sheet music
1: yeah exactly i would i hung out for like four hours just copying sheet music in their office and then like cleaning off you know cleaning off all the tile dust from the ceiling tiles and footprints and and, uh and then at the same time i know that our band needed a showcase piece we needed something to march to Mm -hmm. and at the time i really loved my chemical romance so they had a song called Welcome to the Black Parade. You and know, I was like, I
0: performed that at a wedding last year.
1: Did yeah. you really? I sure did. Oh, that's hilarious.
0: Yeah. We did the whole thing. Five piece band. <laughs> it was great. A little, though.
1: a little snare drum marching stuff in the background. I sure
0: did. We rocked it. Absolutely. Anyway, go ahead. I knew you were going to say Welcome to the Black Parade because that's, I didn't oh, listen to oh, punk That's as the a song. Teen, but I sing a fair amount of it now as an adult, yeah. which is great. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. Yeah. I'm weirdly so, good at it.
1: So I, um, I found out that I could do the same thing, breaking it, going through the ceiling, breaking into the choir room. And in the choir library, I found an unused copy of Finale 2006.
0: What? Get out of here.
1: Yeah, it was like the student copy. They never put it on the computers, whatever. So I took that home, installed the student copy, because I had the little license key, and I decided I was going to arrange Welcome to the Black sure. Parade for marching band. I didn't know anything yeah. about arranging or about marching or about instrumentation ranges, whatever. So it was like the early days of Googling. So I like looked up a bunch of stuff online, found out typical ranges, decided I was going to arrange the song and I finished it. Took the PDF, put the MIDI and the, and the sheet music and everything, put it on a CD, burned it onto a CD. And I took it to my band directors and I said, Hey, I'm arranging this song. I've never arranged anything before. Do you mind just looking it over and telling me what you think or if there's anything I can improve on? Yeah. 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 And they were like, uh, yeah, sure. Whatever. They take the folder from me. A few days goes by nothing. So I go back to the office. Hey, did you have a chance to look at that? And they're like, no, we haven't looked at it yet. We'll do it sometime. Okay. A few more days. Hey, have you looked at it? Nothing. A few more days. It gets like two and a half weeks of them having this music. And they've not opened it. And so I go in one day and I'm like, hi, I really am hoping for feedback. We're about to start practicing this. Can you tell me any thoughts? And the band director like hands me my folder and he says, yeah, I looked at it. I think it's, um, it's, a uh, it's pretty amateur.
0: Okay. Rude. I mean, also you were one. Yeah. But and also how dare he not be like delighted. I hate yeah. that. How dare yeah. he not be delighted?
1: How dare he? So Ugh. he had no notes for me. He just handed it back to me, said it was an like amateur work. That guy. And so I was like, fuck I'm that guy. So mad. So then um, the next, uh, what was it? So then it comes time for our performance. Our band directors, you know, just like any person who's been an educator for more than 20 years, Every Christmas, somebody gets them a baton. So they have a collection of batons and they have a little bag, nice little bag where they keep all their batons and they choose which one's best for the day because whatever, batons okay, are because pointless. Whatever.
0: Yeah. Why? Um,
1: but I went in and I asked the day before performance, I was like, hi, do you mind if I borrow for one day, one of your batons, I'm going to direct this band would love to do this. And they said, no. So I went and I directed this band with a drumstick, I, with a drumstick. Hell yeah. I
0: love it. I love it.
1: Um, and then, you know, there were that, that was a little bit of uh, you know, realizing that some people just like didn't like exciting things to me, like there were there was something about newness mm. that these 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 older directors, they were their souls were so weary that the idea of somebody being excited about something made them more tired.
0: Yeah, I felt like that when I was teaching at BYU. Yeah, I know that exact feeling. Mm. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. Just continue, and then I have so many questions.
1: Oh yeah, well I mean, um, was there that came a time... was at the
0: end, or were you in the middle of thoughts? Sorry.
1: I'm well, sorry. there came there came a time where like we had a second performance, and the band directors locked the band hall after school so nobody could get their instruments to go play the show so we broke into the band hall and stole all our instruments and then I got like suspended for a couple days basically yeah
0: that's the trouble you got into yeah that's the the trouble trouble yeah okay first of all I love everything about this this is a perfect example of the path of least resistance for you like Mm -hmm. nothing about that is the nothing about that is not resistance. All of that is resistance. Every Yet. single, every single piece of that story is resistance, except the part where it's the easiest way for you to solve a problem and do something that you want to do. Totally. And that is like, I love this story. I will tell this story to my students this fall. Certainly. Cause <laughs> it's a perfect, it's a perfect example of like, this is creativity. Like mm-hmm. you want to do something, you're excited about something fucking find a way to do it. Yeah. I love it. I well, love I, that.
1: I got super vindicated the, the next year. Um okay, so as all this is going on, I decided I wanted to learn more about music theory. Yeah. So I started just I pulled up a website. It was musictheory.net. Was the best thing at the time. Probably still pretty good. Still, it is. <laughs> and I just started learning about music theory cuz I wanted to take the AP music theory exam. Except We didn't have a music theory class. We didn't have anything like that. So I talked to a counselor and they said, you know what? We're going to make this happen for you. So this counselor got her, got whatever administrative stuff figured out that she needed to. I had a small, like a closet in the library where she administered the test only to me. And then I was the only one taking it. The class, you know, band directors didn't offer to help. And, uh, and I made a four out of five on this AP exam. Wow. I was pumped the next year because of my success, several students were excited to maybe take a music theory class. So the band directors started a music theory class. I started in the class. I didn't feel like I was learning anything. So I dropped the class, uh, switched to something else. They, the band directors gave me like negative energy for dropping their music theory class even though i'd already passed the ap exam and when it came when it came time for the new exam yeah when it came time for the new exam i took it i made a five and everyone else in the class failed so it was just like (laughs) it was it was just like reoccurring moments of like these people don't know what they're doing i can just make it up i can just do what i want
0: isn't that an incredible lesson to learn yeah Oh, I love it. Okay. Tell me this. So here's the other, here's the question that I have on the tail end of this. Mm -hmm. You said something earlier, like I was too stupid to have self-doubt, but like, how could a person who does this in their teen, in their high school, have any reason to have any self-doubt? Like why is self-doubt even part of like this theoretical equation And Mm. I'm sure there is like an answer. Like, I feel like I might even kind of know what the answer is, but like, can we talk about that? Like why a child who does all of these things that you have just talked about should, will still feel a a sense of not good enough for this institution or like, like what, let's just, can we just talk about that as a problem? For all
1: have fallen short of the glory of God, Emily.
0: Yes, yeah. we all yes. Yes. Um, yes, the glory of Jazz God, Jazz yeah, ed, jazz, god. jazz education god, or whatever yeah. institution. But can we talk about like the institutionalization of creativity and like I mean we can just talk about it in terms of your experience and and mine maybe, but like why why should this child, this little Aaron have any sense that he isn't like an absolute badass? Who totally deserves to be in a creative space? Mm. You know, like what, wh- why, where is that sense of lack coming I th- from?
1: I think it was less, like I think at the time I didn't feel as much doubt, but I did feel sh- like shame. Why? So, I th- I th- I think honestly, I think I was a really shamed, you know, internally, you just said externally. Shame whatever.
0: was just part of your it being was just at that time.
1: Yeah, it was just part of it. So. Wow. The, um, you know, I think as a kid, so this is a deep dive. Um, there were a few times where as like a 12 year old or 11 or 10 or something, yeah, I would consider and become like obsessed with this idea that no one liked me Mm. and I would disappear. Mm. I went to a camp one time. I hid under a bed the whole camp was looking for me. I was just listening to their life go on, not realizing they were looking for me. And it was just like this, like almost, almost like self masochistic thing of like, like falling down the rabbit hole of self convincing that no one cared about me. Um, there were a few occasions like that. I think like, a. I'm at some girl's birthday party and nobody, you know, I don't feel like people like me. So I go off in the woods and I'm just like sitting by myself mm-hmm. for a couple hours, not realizing that I'm ruining this girl's birthday party because they, they have like everybody kidnapped. Exactly.
0: Oh my God.
1: I well, mean, but just how, stuff like that.
0: How does this, like, how does, how is this true? Like you're, you have this sensitivity, you have this kind of, I don't know, some kind of a fear of not being loved or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you also have this like incredibly bold, like, you know, fuck you energy. That's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to just make this happen. I'm going to just do it. How do those two things like live in you at the same time? Tell me the dance of these things. Or is one of them gone now?
1: I think the adolescence part of it was just like (laughs) hormones hit. And then it's like, like I'm too distracted to like wrap myself up in shame all the time. And then as an adult, figuring out that the shame was a lot of like religious subtext stuff for me. Yeah. And then coming out of that further along in adulthood, realizing that just because I know where it comes from doesn't mean I'm always able to interject or stop it. So it's more about when it pops up, trying to recognize, trying to recognize it for what it is. And let I'll it do what it's it. gonna do, but that doesn't mean I have to play ball all the time.
0: I feel like I'm I feel like I'm right there too. Like it's a constant, it's a constant, like here's that thing. I'm not gonna try to smash it away. I'm gonna like just feel the thing, go through the cycle mm-hmm. and try not to attach too much to it. But yeah, I I hear you there. But I do also think there is something like I feel this too. And I, I wonder if it's part of why we get along so well, because we definitely both have like this kind of ballsy thing of like, I will take on a huge project and I will mm-hmm. just do this huge project and also some sensitivity, like, you know, as art, like this, this other art thing that's like, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately when I was a child, you know, my parents were just shitty, but um they were always like, teasing me about being dramatic they were always like you're so dramatic and as an adult I'm like who cares like so Mm -hmm. fucking what like yeah isn't it great aren't you lucky like I'm putting a show on for everyone around me all the time. Like
1: have you turned on the TV? They love what I do.
0: Are, yeah. Like you, like you're welcome for this yeah. drama. Like, cause it's not like unnecessary. It's like I have big feelings, you know, like it's, it's like it just is what it is. But yeah, having this kind of radical acceptance for like, this is the being that I am, and this is how this being like bees, you know, in
1: the world. Yeah. This is how this, this is how this bees. Yeah. This
0: is how this no, bees.
1: I- and <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that and I think you know the the respect for big feelings and also the respect for people that don't have that kind of experience I have some friends now who are like who have a lot of big feelings but they've learned to be able to communicate those things without yeah. actionably making it a problem for people right and mm, those yeah. are
0: separate things those are mm-hmm. separate issues and Like, to be clear, as a child, my drama was things like that I think I as an adult would find just adorable, like, for example, coming in from playing crying because there was a blackbird that was laughing at me. You know, like, that's just cute. Wow. That's just really cute. And, and a little really sad cute. and probably like, hey, you know, maybe this child is unloved at home, which bingo, <laughs> you know, and that's not my fault. That wasn't my fault. Um, But, you know, like, I mean, like, who doesn't love, who doesn't love just like a, an earnestly dramatic child? Totally. Like, <laughs> a child who's like not trying to get attention. It's just like, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I also fucking love an earnestly dramatic adult. Like mm-hmm. Not a toxically dramatic adult, but like an adult that's just like excited and then really frustrated. Like, I'm so glad to have friends that yeah. are like that. You, you just know? made me
1: think of Tyler Thomas. Yeah, we both exactly,
0: know like just exuberant and earnest and like will love you so hard. And like, we'll be like, you know, if there's something we're fighting against, it's like, I'm fully there. Like, <laughs> I mean, we need people like that. Like, totally. I don't know. I think it's just, okay. So just to, just to be like, totally clear, like I have loved watching you become the adult that you are. I have loved watching you like, develop vocal mist and you know just like do all the work you're doing and impact like I mean just it has been such a joy to just see you like build your van and like you know just everything that you do everything that you take on like you're taking science classes you're like I'm learning about CRISPR like you're just you know all the things that you're doing I would love to just hear you talk about like how you have like learned to take yourself down the paths that you want to be on I would love to hear you talk about how you give yourself permission like just what it feels like to be like to just be just be who you are you're so good at it <laughs> tell me tell me like how oh, it happened
1: love <laughs> I mean it hmm. so the question is
0: I mean, let's just talk about your life. Like, like, but I'd be mean, the thing that I want you to really know is that like, I don't want you to just be talking about music. Like what, sure. who cares? But like, how, how have you, like, let's just talk about like the process of like building your life. So, um, is there anything else you want to talk about of like the college time? Like anything else that you feel, you know, in terms of your, your creative development, your identity, um, like, anything else that is is critical from that you time? Know,
1: I will say that um, in the identity conversation, I think on some level, developing an identity is so useful. And on some level, it is absolutely not.
0: Let's hear all your thoughts.
1: The, um... If I... Okay, stripping it down to a base argument. Yeah. I am... If I say... I am male. Mm-hmm. That means that I am not female. If I say yeah. I am an American, it means I am not other things. Yeah. The process of identifying is a process of distinction. So it's not that identities exist as, in, as, um, as isolated characteristics. Yeah, always, sure. There's always a distinction that's being made. And so in making a lot of distinctions with your identity at some point that becomes limiting because the more that I say to myself, I am male, the harder it is for me to, to empathize with people who are not male. The same if I'm like super American or super Texan or that or you know, if I um it means that I'm going to create distinctions of what I empathize with or what I'm willing to understand and also um limit the possibilities of honest experiences and growth. Elsewhere, yeah. if I say to myself, I am a creative person. That in itself might feel like such a positive statement, but that also means that I'm creating an expectation for myself where I have to do certain things that align with my view of creativity. Otherwise, I'm not fulfilling my own soul. Right. So
0: I mean, or you could change your view of creativity. Sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I like stripping it down to like the basic, basic, like granular truth is like, is it more that I am Aaron? Is it more that I am male? Is it more that I'm American? Is it more that I am a musician? Is it more that I am a human? Is it more that I am a 21st century human? Is it more, you know, are there all these characteristics? What's I can debate about any of those, about the importance of any of those. But at the very, very core of it, it's like, oh, I am an experiential piece of life. Yes. That's like, that is the absolute bedrock.
0: This is like, I'm experiencing things. Oh, Erin, I'm so with you. Okay, sorry, finish. And then I've got a thing. I thought you were done.
1: Oh, please go. Um, if I am willing to let myself let go of identities Mm. and just try to experience things as a piece of life my experience is different than when i try to strap on my identities for the sake of direction yes so i think in a i think it happens to be that we live in a society right now that is able to recognize the importance of identities in being functional in being helpful in giving direction and giving giving a narrative to somebody's life in a way that's essential in a lot of ways, but it's also really limiting in a lot of ways.
0: It's like a shortcut, but there's a cost. Yes. Yep. I totally agree.
1: So for identity wise, I have a hard time. Not, not that as a, not as a restriction, but as a choice, I make it, uh, internally, I try to make it difficult for myself to, to, to attach myself too much to a single identity because I know it's limiting myself in other ways. So I don't like describing myself as being much. You know what I mean?
0: That's so much. I mean, I really understand what you mean. And I might have like some, I think for me, I maybe feel a little bit different about it because myself, like just my my experience as an individual being mm-hmm. was systematically denied Mm, for mm -hmm. so long you know like narcissistic abuse like I was talking about this in therapy like just a couple weeks ago like it's it's it is an eradication of your identity like your selfhood (laughs) like you're Mm -hmm. enmeshed into another like the the narcissist or the kind of narcissistic structure which I think my family the way that my family generationally is part of the Mormon church Mm -hmm. um it's a narcissistic institution. It's a narcissistic structure in the family that is like, like when I was, did you watch Succession?
1: I watched some of it, yeah.
0: So my, like watching that show and like the way the power dynamics are and kind of like the family and sort of the corporate institution Mm -hmm. reminded me more of like my experience than anything I've ever seen. Um, You know, my family's not billionaires, but like just the politics of the the, the kind of organism of the family and kind of, you know, outside of the family in the, in the extent that there's like a, a community power structure element.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, and I just think like based on the way that like those kind of maladaptive, um, you know, again, for lack of a better word, like toxic structures sort of perpetuated themselves through time, they landed on me <laughs> like mm-hmm. in a way that I think uh, saying like who I am and like, you know, it, it, it is functional for me in a way that's very like important. Mm -hmm. Um, but I really agree with you. And this is when I was saying like, I'm, I'm burdened and puzzled and confused literally all of the time about like, what is anything? What is yeah. anything? Cause I do the same thing that you're saying, like breaking it down, breaking it down, breaking it down until I'm like, what is even here? And then also zooming out, zooming out, zooming out until I'm like, what is anything? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, I feel really a lot about that. And yeah, the, the, the place that I find myself in real, like recently is like, being very aware that these kind of institutional social structures um and i don't mean institutional in the sense that there's a name on the building i mean institutional in the sense that like we call this person a brother we call this person a friend like you know we have these kind of social structures that have names attached to them um we call this person our boss you know we call mm-hmm. this person my dentist um And we have rules and those rules around what is allowed to happen in those relationships in those spaces are useful, um, but like limiting, but extremely limiting. And I've been thinking a lot lately about like how far it could be like where where is the boundary where it kind of tips over into like we need some of this. Um, Mm -hmm. I find myself like deeply burdened by this question. Well you
1: you said something interesting a second ago regarding narcissistic power structures. Yes. And how they were essentially the eradication of selfhood. Yeah. So, I agree with that, but it the next question for me would be is selfhood what what it is for all the things that selfhood can contain, does it mainly contain being um does it mainly contain the weights assigned towards certain kinds of reactions meaning that when somebody's eradicating your selfhood they're creating a scenario in which you only have one way to act right you only have one way to flow through the scenario right or does selfhood then does the real core of selfhood mean the ability to react multiple ways
0: yeah so, that's definitely more how i see it
1: sure So if selfhood is the creation of options, it's the creation or it's the, uh, it's the room for options. It's the room for like choice essentially, then there's, when someone is your dentist, when somebody has that identity, that social identity ascribed to them, there are things that you wouldn't say or do to that dentist. Right. And that creates a limitation.
0: Yeah.
1: The, but the more choices you have, the more kind of open the playing field is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I worry about some, so much. Yeah. I worry sometimes that like people's just like how you're saying, like if I am a dentist or I am a Democrat, that people's self-identifying things create a restriction on their ability to judge choices without pre-existing yes. perspective. Yeah.
0: I'm total, I totally agree. Like, and I feel burdened by it. And I feel like lately one of the kind of projects that I find myself interested in mm-hmm. um, is pushing on some of those boundaries. Like just like for me, and I'm trying, I'm not trying to be like, uh, I'm not trying to creep anybody anybody out or like, you know, be an issue for anyone, but just in like small, subtle ways, like just pushing on those limitations a little bit Mm -hmm. as if to say, Hey, don't forget we're primates, <laughs> like, you know, because I feel like, I mean, like, I've been reading all these books about like, evolution, and um, just like, kind of biology, and mm-hmm. you know, what kind of it means to be like, a species, you know, and, and the kind of interconnectedness of, you know, biological phenomena. And it makes me just feel yeah, so like, I agree with you, like these identity things, like the the way we talk about this stuff is very, like, can be really arbitrary. And like, what are we actually like, even just, you know, thinking about like, I know you're always interested in like, microbiome stuff, Mm -hmm. like, and I love it. I like, I, I, I always want to like call you after you post something and be like, tell me your sources, like what is all of it so that I can get caught up. But (laughs) I was reading something last week about how um, more more of the cells in your, like, on and in your body are non-human than human. Yeah. Um, and it's just an interesting thing to think about. Like, we, we get so cerebral about our identities, but it's like you are. It's like we're are, not even. We're not even a thing.
1: All right. So I'm going to tell you one more book to write down. Okay,
0: tell, me, uh, tell me. This
1: is called Clean by James Hamblin. Okay. All right. In, in this book, James Hamblin describes the history of soaps general, like a you know as a kind of like,
0: it, like a thread it used to be, through history or a thread Sorry. through
1: history of like how people use soaps and especially in the 20th century when it erupted into industry
0: mm-hmm. and
1: now we have marketing and now we have a cultural fascination with being clean and hand sanitizer mm-hmm. and dove and what's good for my body what do i put on my skin mm-hmm. um in a way that's largely made us more unhealthy and he makes a great case for it and um kind of aligns with me personally because I felt like this might be the case several years ago. I was like, soap isn't that important. I
0: remember you came to my house and you were like, like I use a salt sp- stick instead of deodorant and don't use yeah. soap. Yeah.
1: I yeah, I haven't used I mean I still use shampoo like once a week, maybe.
0: Yeah. But
1: and if I'm really greasy and grimy, I'll use some kind of soap just to like get off oily stuff. Yeah. But yeah. but generally speaking, I haven't really used body soap or body wash in like five years. That's awesome. And nothing has changed. If anything, yeah. my skin is better. It's just yeah. like, why, yeah. you know, why fuck with it? I think we gotta, we have, we have things living on us. We have things living in us. Yeah. There's, um, in this book, there's mention of, there's some types of skin bacteria that you find on a lot of people that live more indigenous lives mm-hmm. that, uh, this skin bacteria is attracted to, to and eats small amounts of skin cancer cells. So in the modern day, we're sunscreen, sunscreen, got to be, you know, got to protect our skin at all times, even though a lot of sunscreen ends up soaking in and getting absorbed in, some into your
0: bloodstream.
1: And even though there's open lawsuits against several sunscreen manufacturers right now for having too many, uh, oh, what was it? It was like a too many, I think, like benzene,
0: yeah. I think that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. You have got to use the zinc sunscreen or like something yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. Sure.
1: Yeah. It was mainly like aerosol, aerosol based right. sunscreens that have yeah. lawsuits open, but there's but so just that to say like that, that, that it so could many. be like, we create a problem. We think we're solving a problem. So we it's create the one same and then like we create baking more
0: soda and... thing. It's the yeah. same. It's the same principle. <laughs> like, yeah. Um,
1: just stop doing so much.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And just have these questions yeah i mean really though like i'm 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 deeply burdened by these by these types of questions of late and for me i think like the space where i find myself most fascinated is in relationships like how are we allowed to communicate and be and cherish and like hold on to and or reject other beings you know Mm -hmm. other sentient beings um and yeah, I just feel, I feel like there's such an illness in <laughs> like the ways that we uh, police are the way that we treat each other like humans. It's, mm-hmm. it's devastating to me.
1: I think that humans generally, though we have like, you know, we're primates, we have a lot of bad habits, but I think generally within a system or within a certain type of society, if you have enough food, and you have enough water and you're not super overbreeding your own society and you're basically if you're able to sustain yourself with a technology that's dependable but doesn't change a bunch mm-hmm. then i think generally people move closer and closer towards wellness
0: mm-hmm.
1: um i think a lot of our social connections and our social systems meaning who we Who's, who's family, who's not family, who's in our tribe, who's not in our tribe. Yes. Roles of student to boss to... Dentist. To dentist, yeah. A lot of those roles, the ability to codify people in that way, um, just like most human behaviors, is kind of evolutionarily determined. It is not to say that it's like it is our nature to have these roles, but saying that... Just like organisms evolve, systems of behavior evolve, and they're Society's always changing evolving. and reacting. And so they're malleable, and we can find wellness in a variety of scenarios. We could, it's possible if we rewound, rewound the clock several thousand years in a society, it's possible to have found wellness as a society in a, you know, in a seemingly static state that's given enough time to have behaviors evolve. Yeah yeah um, it's also possible to get to a bad place, but I think I think generally the propensity is for systems to to push towards wellness so long as they're not changing too radically too fast. Yeah when we're caught unawares, when we're introduced new system, new system, new system, when things keep changing, all of a sudden, a lot of our systems of behavior are now unhealthy.
0: and that's um, certainly I mean that's certainly you feel like that's happening now. Yeah.
1: yeah, internet definitely.
0: technology. I mean, yeah, it, it feels to me like I'm in a strange, strange land. Like so mm-hmm. often, like I just feel like, what even? What is it? What are we doing? Like it, it. I really, it freaks me out. Like, because I, I totally agree. I mean, Andrew, Andrew always says this thing. He he read it. I think it was in like the like Michael Pollan's book, maybe. Because Andrew is really like fascinated by mushrooms Mm -hmm. um in all the ways as as, we all should be yeah because incredibly fascinating stuff um (laughs) but uh you know the the thing talking about kind of a default mode network and and kind of remembering like the the nugget is uh no models are true but some are useful and and i feel this way like about societal structures and about saying like there certainly is something like we need boundaries, you know, like in order to have, you know, work and whatever else we're doing, there needs to be some societal boundaries. We can't all have just access to each other, like intimate access to each other. It's too much of a burden. And the dentist can't have me calling him at home and being like, Hey, I have a thing, you know, I need to make an appointment. Like there needs Mm -hmm. to be, you know, there should be some level of distance for this thing to function. But yeah. I, I want, I find myself thinking a lot about like, but where, but where is it? Like, where is that? Where's the line? Point? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think when we realize just like how malleable everything is, yeah. then it becomes very, very difficult to distinguish. Like we have all these choices on how to organize what's the best way. Yeah. Um, so I, I think in, it might be the case that in several hundred years, that they will regard this time period of being the introduction of digitization and kind of the expansion of human awareness in terms of like tribe quality like it might be that that's regarded as like a pretty important time because it was an introduction of a lot of new facility uh, the expansion of the of all the different human faculties for dealing with each other um in which case we're kind of blessed to live through a time period that is so uncertain because in time periods that are super certain your ability to control how the world ends up is rather restricted in com- oh. in areas with a lot of turmoil it's a uh, the the playing field is more open so i think we're gifted a special responsibility
0: That's so that's what this podcast is about for me. You know, it's like it really is like it's I mean, I call it artifice because it's not what it seems, right? Like mm-hmm. the the conversation, the question, like each individual, each career path, every medium, like nothing is what it seems, really. There's always kind of more to wonder about and so many things that are just subjective, that are that are fully um dependent on the viewer and Mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the individual mind through which these things are filtered and the individual experiences. Um, And so, you know, for me, like this project is many things, but not the least of which is, I hope that by engaging with individuals on these topics, um, that, you know, at the very least I'm changed, you know, at the very least, like I come away with something else and then, you know, that affects my marriage and that affects my students and that affects, you know, whatever. Um, and at the best, you know, maybe several people listen and then they're thinking about those things. I just feel like it's one, it's just a tiny way to, um, it's chaos, you know, it's like, like, it's a, it's a small introduction of chaos and curiosity. Um, but yeah, I mean it's like you were saying before, G- like this is why identity is dangerous. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: Well, it's um I think we have to get a little comfortable with chaos. Yes. For us to move through this time period.
0: Right. Chaos, uncertainty, and you can't be too fixated on I am Aaron. I am it's a like, man. I am a musician. Cause you gotta be able to move.
1: You gotta be able to move. Um, and that's been interesting as me as a person, like feeling some of my opinions change.
0: Let's talk about it.
1: Over the past few years. Ooh. Um, Let's talk about it. That's well, that's the
0: stuff that's the most interesting for you, right? Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like hit me with it.
1: Um, okay. So, hmm. I think in the past several years, like if you asked me 5 years ago, what is the role of like human sexuality and how static is it? And how do people connect to each other? Yeah, I would have described a more static state. I would have described um, there's straight people and there's gay people and there's trans people and people's way. You know, there's there's scenarios in which if you're dating someone, it's act, you act like this. If you're married, you act like this. Yeah. Um,
0: if it's your dentist, you act like this.
1: If it's your dentist, you act like this. Yeah, I'll stop. Yeah, yeah. No, dentists everywhere rejoicing for all the love they're getting right now. But in a world where there's, like, far more that we don't know than what we do know at this moment, it's hard to know what is innate, what is me, what it is, is me even a thing. What are all the moving pieces that relate? Like, I found a paper last night that, um, it's from the 80s, but they were testing my- myotoxins created by a certain type of fungus talking about mushrooms made me think about this yeah and the the title of the paper you were thinking about
0: it last night i
1: was thinking about this yeah (laughs) Yeah. oh yeah the the title of this paper is the effect of fungal toxins on the sexual behavior of rabbits
0: oh my gosh tell me everything so Uh, interesting
1: basically there's some of these funguses that grow on a lot of normal crops and they make it into our food supply also but they isolated this fungus they had it make its regular byproducts, some, uh, a few different, like, mycotoxins. I think one's called, like, zerelinon? Zirel- Zarellion? Um. Cool. When they fed this to rabbits, the rabbits' sexual behavior changed, and a fair amount of them started exhibiting homosexual behavior. So, the, the sexual attraction, the sexual behaviors of these rabbits changed in response to a single fungal byproduct. Yeah. Um. So when we look at that, when we, you know, the big world of fungus that we don't know anything about, of right. how that in- impacts you behavior.
0: Largest organism, organisms on the planet.
1: Mm-hmm. When we look at um, how that we behavior. only have really synthesized the health or only tried to research the health benefits of maybe like a couple hundred different types of gut bacteria when there's 40,000 different types of gut bacteria we look at the roles of like endocrine disruptors in our food supply, in our microplastics, in uh, not just our our food, but like everywhere around us, um, that it becomes pretty clear that like we are in a constantly changing state
0: yeah.
1: and nothing is so true that we should always respect it as being like an absolute part of somebody's identity.
0: Amen hard amen. Yeah, yeah. I deeply agree. Well, okay. So something that I've been talking about on the podcast for years. Like and it's and it's something I write about. It's in it's it's in it's it's I'm obsessed. It's in everything that I do. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm obsessed with the concept and experience of like a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. I remember like distinctly being a sophomore and a junior in high school and I was taking a bunch of AP classes and I was on the speech and debate team. It was just this, this time in my life, like these kind of two years, um, learning so many things that just cracked my brain into like in an instant, it's like, oh, that's new information. Now everything looks different. Mm -hmm. And it's the same kind of novelty thing. I mean, it's like, I, I think. Um, I'm addicted to this as well. Um, yeah. and i'm 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 looking all over in my life for like where is the next one? Like, what paradigms have I not shifted? Like I, I there's nothing I love more, nothing I love more. i I think than like learning something or experiencing something that does that that makes mm-hmm. me just be like, there are questions I never even would have considered. There are connections I never would have made. Um, lately I'm thinking a lot about like, what can we do to facilitate paradigm shifts in our own minds? Um, what can we do to be more kind of open to Mm -hmm. the type of information that you don't even know how to look for because it's so out of your worldview. Sure. Um, and you're amazing at this. Like, I don't know. Do you want to say anything? Do you want to say anything? Well, I think the,
1: um, I think it's useful if you're interested in paradigm shifts, I think it's useful to seek out things that... Su- to seek out, like, media sources or pieces of information or books or whatever that seem kind of ridiculous.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Like, I started reading... Not too recently. I started reading a book called The Real Anthony Fauci.
0: Okay, yeah. It's by
1: Robert F. Kennedy, who's running for president. Oh, my God. And yeah. And he... I think he served, he's he's worked about 30 years as like a litigator mainly against pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Um and in reading this book, I was like, "Oh shit." Um <laughs> yeah. not because everything in this book is true or has to be true, but because number one it was it s- seemingly very well researched. Lots of citations, lots of ways of flowing through kind of the narrative of the COVID time period. Mm-hmm. And realizing that the beliefs that I so readily ascribe to in that time period just might not be true. The, the, for me, um, you know, being in LA, everybody's vaxxed. Everybody is requiring vaccinations to attend events, to, to, to function in society. Um, and realizing that like, that there were financial incentives that yeah. there were bad actors, that there was a kind of, um, subjugation of the normal scientific and medical testing process in us moving through that time period yeah. in a, in a way that, uh, I think I'm like fairly more resistant now yeah. to that kind of heavy handedness than I, than I would have been several years ago when I deemed it a moral necessity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense to me without having read it and you know, I've had like six vaccines because I'm a singer, and I'm like, I still haven't had COVID, so mm-hmm. I'm like, it's working. I mean, I'm happy with that result sure. for now. I mean, nog on wood, like I know like four people who have COVID right now, so yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me that in a time of crisis, and it and it was a time of crisis, kind of no matter how you look at it. I think that there would be fear makes people do radical things. Um, fear makes people skip steps. Fear makes people, I mean, it it makes Mm -hmm. perfect sense to me that, uh, that there are going to be things that look bad in all of that. Like how could there not be, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, that, that makes, that makes perfect sense to me.
1: Yeah. Well, with paradigm shifts and stuff in mind, the, you know, I tried going through a book recently that was all about like manifesting and crystals and Mm -hmm. some like, things that, you know, I typically wouldn't go for. And I found as a result of coming through this book that I still don't go for them. Yeah. But I at least exposed myself to some of the ideas and some of the writing so that if there were pieces in me that were waiting to move or that had a little bit of a tipping point, that they were able to experience that flexibility for a time. Um,
0: Why you said that. Yeah, please continue.
1: Yeah, I don't
0: know. That's a great quote. Stuff like that. No, I feel, yeah. I feel that. I I mean, I feel that like the, I'll, I'll transcribe it when I re-listen, but like this feeling of like things that are things in me that are, will, that are ready to move or that might be like, I'm, I think I'm thinking about it the exact same way. Like I feel this sense of like, if I feel a sense of curiosity about something, like I try to go investigate that thing to just see like what happens. I'm, I'm right there with you and que- mm-hmm. questioning, having, you know, big questions about things. Um, and yeah, just just how does it move? And it doesn't have to be a 180. It can just be like, well, there's a tiny bit of nuance in this belief or this mm-hmm. idea that wasn't there before. Sure. Um, yeah, I feel strongly about that.
1: Yeah, right now. And um, we'll, we'll see how long this time period lasts. But right now, the a big thing for me, and I think culturally is the conversation on UAPs.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Andrew and I were talking about it last night.
1: Absolutely. Did y'all watch the congressional hearing or the committee I didn't
0: hearing? Watch it. I just read the NPR article.
1: Oh my God. It is like it is biologics. fascinating. Biologics. Non-human biologics. Yeah. Well, do what do you want um, to say about it? Oh, well, just to say that like no matter what happens with that, it will command a worldview shift. Excuse me. Yeah. It will command a worldview shift in a lot of people. Because option one is that our, that our government is lying to us so profusely, so over the top, willing guess, to manipulate the yeah. worldviews of everyone for some un, you know for some uncommunicated goal, that is like so much that is so much higher than just abusive, that I can't imagine the anger. That people will react with,
0: if yeah. that's the case. Yeah.
1: And the worldview shift, the inability to trust institutions, that will happen.
0: Ooh, I'm scared of that one a little bit. Ooh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Versus. As much
0: as I've been saying, like anti-institution, like no. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't want a lawless world. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. I'm not yeah. cut out for it. <laughs> I've watched like you know post-apocalyptic uh, shows and movies, and and I don't belong. I don't belong in those worlds. <laughs> it's not you where I'm have, supposed to be. You don't have your go bag. No, my go bag is like, I'm checking out of this experience right now. (laughs) No, thank you.
1: Um, Well, you know, that's that's one big possibility is that this is a massive lie. Yeah. And then the other possibility is that our understanding of physics and the worldview that comes with that is... Missing some essential components yeah. that drastically change how we view reality Yeah, there right now. Everybody's talking about, or not everybody, but you know, the, the general conversation on UAPs is that they've come from somewhere else in the galaxy, mm-hmm. that they've come from some other planet. you know, it's like, or
0: that Multivers. they've been on
1: multiverse. They've been on earth longer than humans have. Maybe they're coming out of the ocean. Maybe there's an under ocean base. Maybe they're, Maybe they've never come from another planet. Maybe they're already here. We're just not privy to their distance. Anyway.
0: Or it's some kind of like a multiverse kind of a situation. Like like planes, like there's just kind of coexisting realities.
1: Coexisting realities. Well, these craft are doing things that are physically impossible impossible to our understanding. Yeah. So that means that like, whatever reality is it's there's there's some levels on it that we just haven't even peeked into yet that seems yeah. and what natural. trips me out too yeah. it's one thing that i can't one like curiosity that i can't get my brain around is why is it that all of these craft are basically geometrical shapes
0: yeah it is weird
1: yeah like they keep seeing like oh it's just a sphere or it's a sphere inside of a square a and cube. we can see through the square
0: yeah, a cube a cube in a in a dark a black cube in a clear sphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what? Or I have a friend who had yeah. like a, a UFO sighting and he says it's a py- a pyramid. And like a pyramid doesn't seem like something that should fly, you know? Yeah. But yeah, you're yeah, that is interesting.
1: Emily, so being totally honest, yeah. I did have a flying saucer experience <laughs> as a kid
0: open to it like yeah I mean also like I was gonna ask like are you were you reading that book on like crystals because of this stuff like does do no those... no no no. okay because sometimes I feel like paranormal phenomena like when I, whenever I hear people talking about paranormal phenomena and I'm fascinated by it like mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of podcasts that are like about this just because I'm like what what the heck is it? <laughs> sure. I just feel very, I feel very curious about these things because mm-hmm. something is happening. I mean, something is happening in all of these ways: aliens, Bigfoot, ghosts, <laughs> any astrological Um, You know, whatever. Something is going on. It could mm-hmm. be in the mind. It could be something physical. It could be something you know metaphysical in some kind of other way. But I always just feel curious and I always feel like, you know, it just, it's like room for that little question, which I think that like paradigm shift in me, like, I'm always just like, okay, well, I'm ready. I'm ready Mm -hmm. for like, I'm ready for some information that blows it open. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And in the meantime, I'm like, I don't know, I'm a neutral party, but I'm like, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I'm ready. Yeah. Is that how you feel?
1: I mean, I'm, I'm like kind of ready. And then I'm also kind of tired already. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, here we go with, you know, and I, I, oh, I get excited God. about the novelty, but um, I think it's, you know, even though my worldview has developed and I've learned more and I, I feel like I know a lot more now about how things are yeah. than I did 10 years ago. 10 years ago, plus I was shifting from another view of how the world was mm-hmm. and it took me several years to stop being angry. And then it took me several years of just learning and, like, more codifying and kind of developing a model yeah. of of what reality is. Yeah. And so the idea of that changing is exciting, but also, like, I know how much work that is. Oh, yeah. I no. mean,
0: I also, like, grew up in a cult, so I really <laughs> get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and I feel like I'm still, like, I'm still discovering shards of those belief systems that I mm-hmm. didn't know were there. Like, all the time I'm like, oh, this, interesting What do we do with it? You know, it's, it's, it, I totally hear you. It's like very exhausting. So this brings me to, this is a perfect segue to like the next thing that I wanted to talk about with you, which is how do you, a person who is interested in all these big things and on a fucking Thursday night, you're reading just a paper about mushroom toxins and how they change rabbit sexuality. (laughs) How are you also being like a productive like practical, you know, functioning being in a society who does like all the projects that you're doing? Like, how do you balance those things?
1: Um, I will say that not having a regular day job really helps.
0: Yeah, same.
1: Um, (laughs) because with, uh, you know, so I do vocal myth stuff. I started a sound company recently doing like rentals and basically running sound for events. Done some cool. corporate stuff with that this past few months. Cool. Hopefully growing that because the pay is way better than being a singer. It's yeah. remarkable.
0: Yeah. And that's very um, practical.
1: Yeah. I love yeah. it. And I like doing tech stuff and I keep buying new toys. Yeah. It's, it's very.
0: I can't see you doing anything that you don't like at some yeah. level. Yeah. That's yeah. the kind of
1: thing. The, um, but, and you know, there's been periods where I really like doing vocal mist, um, mm. you know, organizing. Want to talk about it. Just like for the listener, like just talk about sure. it. Sure. Sure. So Vocalmist is a, it's a, 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 oh my God, my brain just broke. Vocalmist is a product and a company that Vocal. I started selling, um, several years ago, like 2018. Yeah. It is a nebulizer, meaning it takes a liquid and it turns that li- liquid into mist. Cool. So it's kind of like an aerosol, it kind of like aerosolizes liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's done with a type of medical grade saline that your body absorbs really easy as hydration as like a source of hydration. So vocal mist is generally sold to singers and to people who use their voices a lot as a kind of a non-medical or medical adjacent, uh, respiratory hydration tool. So helps hydrate your sinuses, helps hydrate your voice specifically. Um, And the feedback from singers and the research that this is based on generally shows that, uh, you know, this seems to prolong the amount of healthy phonation and the health amount of healthy singing that someone can do before their body feels compromised. It's just adding a little bit of like, it's like a little bit more oil to the engine.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah. I I mean, obviously I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a vocal mist and I use it like, you know, on the reg. Um, I'm, I'm also a fan of yours and a fan of like you just taking on this thing. That's like humongous now. I mean, right. Like, do you want to talk about like what that like feels like?
1: Sure. I mean, it was one step at a time. I mean, it was, it started off as like an email conversation with me and a customer support agent. It then ended up as an email conversation with the manufacturer. Sure. And then a small order with the manufacturer and then a bigger order and then a redesign and then a website and then more redesign and then more order and, and then, then a selling with Amazon battle with Amazon battle with, um, some like licensee license, like ability to sell the product. Um, now it's become a thing where it's a large proportion of my income and it only, you know, it takes some time to manage, but. Not a ton. There's a lot of people that work a lot harder than I do after business. It's
0: max creative. I love it. I mean, it's it's bespoke to you. It's like yeah. it's a product that makes perfect sense for you. It's something mm-hmm. that you're interested in. It's something that you needed and you saw a need for in your community. And then you've 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 like finished it. Like you, you created this thing and you put it here and now it's working for you and yeah. that's, it's perfect. And it has, you know, nothing to do with your degree, your college degree. Yeah, no, I mean, very little it, does. It, it, does <laughs> it does in terms of the community. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you're, like I said, I've, like, I've been saying you're, you're such a perfect example of like taking, you know, your strengths and your resources and the current, you know, state of affairs. Uh, 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 a gap in the market and like just moving forward like so you know confidently it's amazing like it's Thanks really so. inspiring it's like it's I think something that we well, could all stand to have a little bit more well, of. we
1: were we were talking earlier about the feeling of micro decisions when you're singing like what does it mean to be creative in this like you get into a flow state and you are exercising like quickly navigating lots of little things and it feels fulfilling because you're not judging those decisions um it has been an exercise in a different type of quote-unquote creativity Mm -hmm. for me to work on structuring and growing a business because those same not the same decisions but very similar forks in the road pop up or there's an expanse where, where there's not a lot of not a lot of guidance and you have to like conceptualize several options and then problem solve one problem at a time. Um, and it's, it's been like a huge, like brain and maturity growth aspect for me. I
0: love it.
1: Um, and now it's like, you know, I employ, I mean, it's, 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 you know, paying me and my wife's salaries and it's also paying, my little sister who's hired as our fulfillment partner who ships out of Texas and it's paying my mom, who's our main customer support agent. And, uh, and largely it's the kind of thing where I can work on it as much as I want. And then I can set it down for a week and like basically ignore it and then come, you know, do sound stuff or go sing with impact or go, you know, do gigs or just watch TV. And then I can come back when I'm ready to continue working on it.
0: I, I really, I've set my career up this way as well. Like Mm -hmm. I have all these different projects that I can pivot to as my interest, like I follow my interest. Um, and that, that is another kind of like bespoke creativity. And, you know, I've, I think maybe I don't, I would love your thoughts on this or if you, if you think they're interesting, but Mm -hmm. I, uh, I feel like I spent some time at the beginning of my career feeling yeah, like what you were talking about before with like uh trying to r- make original music and then kind of just going like, this just isn't, this just doesn't, it just isn't working for me. And I, I spent a lot of time at the beginning of my career feeling that way about various things. Mm-hmm. And, and I still sometimes have a temptation to feel a little resentful that different expressions of my creativity are valued differently. Um, mm-hmm. And increasingly don't care, but Um, I like I think I'm moving toward like just being like, but I like it and it's working for me. So, you know, who cares, but I really feel this way like I don't feel any less artful about, you know, this project or that it feels the same in my brain like, like these micro decisions like, you know, I'm singing fucking valerie and then i'm like you know drafting a syllabus and they feel the same to me like the mm, feeling that mm-hmm. i have is the same and also like i hear you with like you know vocal mist has like changed who you are like it it has it has facilitated certain types of development in your being and has facilitated development in your uh, larger social structures. Um, And that is kind of this meta creativity in like my favorite way, which is like, what are we doing if not just like setting up our lives? And I don't know, it's just such a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to witness. I I really, Hmm. I mean it. So maybe just, can you just talk Hmm. a little bit about like each of your projects? Or yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, just to say that when you're mentioning singing a song and writing a syllabus that that feels the same i agree with that in a lot of ways i think the pacing feels different for me like the pacing creates like a different experience for me but absolutely the it kind of pulls back to our our thoughts on selfhood yeah that creating hmm like create, creativity is really about the ability to make decisions and to feel good about those decisions. Mm-hmm. And it can be like when you're singing or it can be the syllabus or it can be how you decorate your room. Or like me, when I'm cleaning, I'm like, where do I put stuff? Yes, um, or
0: like cooking. Like I feel this way in cooking. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm going to put a little cinnamon in here. Like it's it's improvisation. It's like, it's it's all the same. Yeah, go mm-hmm. ahead.
1: So I, think, so I think we're just empowered by whatever makes us, feel as whatever makes us like react in that we're able to make a decision about our lives is essentially creative.
0: Yes. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I I live here. Like this is, this is the conversation I want to have with everyone. Like, you know, we, we talk about medium. I'm I'm a a little bit obsessed with medium recently Mm -hmm. and I feel like your medium is you your medium is errant you know and no matter what project you're working on like the medium is your mind and your body and your you know the the whatever situation you're in um and and it's it you know you could be like well i have vocal mist and i have impact Mm -hmm. and i have this sound thing and i i sing for the lucky devils and you know fucking whatever um but like you're doing the same thing like at some level i think
1: think it's unhealthy when when people to drastically associate or identify with their medium.
0: Yes, I totally you know, like, agree. Like, I mean, that's cares? that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I've been saying recently, like, I don't think my medium is music. Like, I just don't, yeah. it doesn't make sense to me to think about it like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's when I get, it's when I feel pressure to think of my medium as singing or teaching or writing, or that's when I start feeling shame and self-doubt. And that's when I start feeling inadequate. Um, mm-hmm. And if I think of my medium as my life, and I if I think of my medium as just, you know, whatever choices I'm allowed to make, my medium are my choices, then it feels so porous and beautiful. And then yeah. suddenly, like making the syllabus feels beautiful to me, like it feels the same as like something that's the prettiest thing i can think of. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, like the expression of those things isn't exactly the same. I totally agree and that's why we need different projects to switch between because you know, you want that experience like in your body in these kind of different ways. Um but yeah, i mean i, I increasingly i feel like when this is what it's about for me, having conversations with creative people, mm-hmm. i i see more and more the more of these interviews that i do that the, the deeper truth is like finding that flow state for yourself. And for some people, it's like, I'm a cellist in the symphony. That is what I do. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. You know, like whatever. And for some of us, it's like, I have my hand in 17 pies. Um, but like, you know, the like cello one in the symphony and cello two in the symphony, these two individuals could have totally different mediums.
1: Sure. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. I loved that. No, I, I, I was like, yay. Um, yeah, well, I think Go ahead. I th-
0: there,
1: there's, there's awesome strides made in the world from people who hyper-focus on one medium and, yeah. Yeah, and yes. it's important to like build them up and help them because a lot of the time they're too singularly focused to be healthy humans, um, or to like take care of their body or take care of their relationships or yeah. stuff like that. Um, but the hyper-focus means that they can get to a certain distance.
0: Well, some people I think are just, that's just how they're going to be like, yeah. and they're not going to have good relationships, but like, who's to say whether their relationship with their obsession, that's what they want. <laughs> you know, like, I don't sure. know. I mean, yeah. I, I look without knowing, without talking, you know, thinking of it an actual person, I feel very like, who's to say that like mm-hmm. this person like, would be happier if they could, you know, maintain their marriage better. Like, I don't, you know, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. 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 I love it. Um, Were you in the middle of a thought? Sorry.
1: Oh, uh, not really. I'm just floating. Well,
0: I think we're kind of wrapping up here. I love these principles. This feels like, this feels to me like... It feels like an arrival point and a beginning point, like these things (laughs) that we've been talking about, like, which is a great feeling. I feel like, you know, what will happen, my my kind of process is about six months after I conduct an interview, I re-listen to it and take notes. This is just what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I love it cool it's it's one of my it's almost like it's almost like a spiritual practice for me and so Mm -hmm. the way that it happens is like at any given point in time I'm conducting you know about one interview a week I'm re-listening to about one interview a week from Mm. six months ago Mm -hmm. and then I write about it like I, I write about these things like the kind of coinciding of you know whatever all the things um and I know that when I re-listen to this, I'm gonna think about these like some of these, some of these nuggets, some of these things that you've said have been like, I had forgotten about that, but yes. <laughs> and I'll have like, you know, like this conversation we're having in real time will leave me with like these fluttering thoughts that I'll totally forget have come from this. And then I'll catch them again in six months and see where they've landed, which is cool. You know, yeah, let me know. love it. Yeah, I w- certainly will. Um, but as we're kind of wrapping up, is there anything else that you want to say? And it like you're like, don't feel like you have to say what you think is right for like this podcast. But like, is there anything else you want to say, um, like in summary about any um, of the things we've talked about? or
1: Sure. Hmm
0: with this particular platform, what do you... Yeah, so you there about?
1: is... There's this experiment they did with... Okay. I say they, the greater they.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, Experiment they did where they took a frog. And a frog, just like most vertebrates, a frog's eyes are connected to its brain, but the f- cables are f- physically crisscrossed because the left side of our body is the right half of our brain and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So this frog had two cables attached to his eyes. And what they did is they created an experiment. They opened up the, they severed these connections and they reconnected the eyes uncrossed, yeah. meaning rather than left going to right and vice versa, left now went to left right now went to right. Yeah. So the eyes are now connected to the opposite sides of the brain. And they had experiments for these frogs before and after the procedure. The experiment was we're going to put like a, a little walkway in front of you. And there's obstacles and you have to hop down the obstacles. So sometimes you have to jump around to the right or jump around to the left. Boom. And then the second part of the experiment was that they're going to make the frog stationary. And they're going to put a, f- a bug or beetle or fly in front of that frog slightly to the left or slightly to the right. And see if the frog eats its food. Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, frog has the little obstacle course and frog has its food laid out in front of it. And they found that once they crossed these eyes... So that the eyes were now connected to the opposite sides of the brain. They had it do this experiment again. And what they found was that the, I want to make sure I get the order of this, right? I think that they had the frog do the obstacle course again. And the frog, when it came up to the obstacle and it needed to go to the right, it would jump to the left. It would jump the opposite direction because its eyes had been switched. It's field of vision. It's, Its left and right was thrown off. But that same frog, a minute later, when you put the food in front of it, the frog would snap its tongue correctly to where the food is. Mm. So the frog was able to see the food on the right side in a way that it wasn't able to see the obstacle on the right side. Yeah. The pathway for understanding space and understanding obstacles was distinct from the pathway that understood food. Yeah. They've done these experiments with people. There's people that have gotten knocked in the back of the head. They go completely blind. They have no idea what's in front of them. But if you ask them to walk down a hallway with obstacles, they'll navigate around the obstacles. They won't be able to tell you that there's obstacles there. They won't tell you which way they're walking, but they're able to move through the world. Because the part of their brain that understands space is different than the part of their brain that understands awareness. There's so many I think a lot of the times when we when we think about identity, when we think about our ourselves and our, our roles in this world, we think of ourselves as an individual actor as somebody who has like I have choices and I'm doing this and then I'm doing this and this is how I feel and this is how I see myself. And a more realistic way to look at ourselves is probably to recognize that they're like a lot of different active me- distinct mechanisms in our brains operating at all times. Our self-awareness and our ability to to create a narrative about ourselves is one of those, but it's probably one of like 20 or one of 30 that the part of my brain that feels, uh, the part of my brain that sees somebody in public and reacts positively or negatively emotionally to them might be different than the part of my brain that rationalizes it, might be different than the part of my brain that creates a narrative about what I'm doing and why and why I feel a certain way. So when we are thinking of ourselves as like creative individuals or judging what we're doing or trying to understand our place in the world, I think it's probably easier and more honest to recognize ourselves as a multitude of things. The better amount of which we're actively not, we don't have under control and we're not even aware of. We're kind of like, we want to think of ourselves as one person. But in reality, we're like 20 people, and only one of them is able to talk.
0: Right, right.
1: And so um, if we remember that, I think it's easier for us to move through the world, making decisions with less judgment for ourselves.
0: It's beautiful. Yeah. I think that came
1: at full circle enough.
0: Yeah, it it certainly did. And it's it's perfectly in line, and it's perfect. And you're perfect.
1: (laughs) You're perfect, Emily. (laughs) Thank you. You rock. Thank you for doing this.
0: Absolutely. Okay. I ask everybody to wrap up questions at the end. They're really easy. The first one is on this day, what's your dream collaboration? Is there anyone or any institution that you would love to work with? Mm. You could build a whole team. You can do whatever you want.
1: Hmm. If I could do whatever I want. um. I have two options that come to mind. Hey. The first option is I would love to start a polka dance band that does high-energy world dance music in the style of Brave Combo, Denton, Texas. Yeah. Um, that would be really, really fun. It's been on, my, on the back of my mind for years, and I've never that done it.
0: That one's going to happen. I'm sure it will.
1: I hope so. The second is that I would love to... Um, it would be really cool to have a team of people that use AI to communicate with crows. Yeah. And that way you could help work with the crows in an urban area to pick up all the fucking trash. There's oh, so much goddamn amazing. trash everywhere. And there's been people independently who have done this. They've trained their cr- trained the crows in their neighborhood to exchange litter for tiny pieces of food.
0: I was just talking about this with someone like, Within the last week, area. Really? Really? Like, yeah. like shine, working with Corvids. Yeah. This yeah. Is only Crows or just all Corvids? I don't know. Cool. I love them. Um, but you can make I little vending machines. I, well, yeah. I love uh, that the dream collaboration is Crows. <laughs> yeah.
1: I would love to work with Crows. Brilliant. You kidding? I love it. I love You're it. Awesome. Crows are so smart.
0: Crows are so fucking smart animals, man. Like I've been reading a lot of like biology stuff recently and I'm reading Mm -hmm. this book right now called an immense world and it's about senses. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like right now I'm learning like the chapters on like color vision in particular and like, you know, Uh what like animals who see ultraviolet animals who have like, you know, the tetrochromacy versus like, you know, try or die. Um, and yeah, I mean, God, there's so, there's so much, there's just, uh, yeah. Mm, it's amazing. <laughs> I love it. And,
1: you know, fifty years from now, we might be able to crisper our way into that.
0: I you know, should be rad. I'm I'm here hey. for it. Like <laughs> we'll take it one day at a time unless it's a zombie apocalypse or a mushroom apocalypse, in which case I'm out.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, last one for you for to me. write down. Yeah, okay, yeah, tell me it. It's called This Is Your Brain on Parasites.
0: Okay, cool. Well, I want to recommend one for you called This Do Is it. Your Brain on
1: Art. Ooh, this is your brain on art. Okay. It's like a
0: neurology book. Parasites. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Okay, and then the final question is, tell everybody where to find your work, and you might as well go project by project.
1: Sure. So if you are somebody who uses their voice, or if you have friends who use their voice, you can find uh, more info on VocalMist as a vocal health tool at myvocalmist.com. The product is about 100 bucks maybe just a little bit more than that and it also has like a subscription where you can get the liquid shipped to you monthly or bimonthly or whatever
0: i have hundreds um, of vocal mist sailing little tubes in my yeah, bathroom yeah. hundreds i have <laughs> Me too. so I, always, I have so uh, many
1: i have some uh some leftovers just like stocked in my closet just like boxes you know
0: yeah mine are stacked all the way to the top of the cupboard nice <laughs> yeah okay vocal mist um, what else do we vocal got vocal
1: mist Um, If you want to check out the all-male vocal jazz acapella group I sing with called Impact, you can find that on any of the social medias at M-P-A-C-T Music, Impact Music. You can also find the website on our tour schedule at www.m-pact.com. If if you're in L.A. and you want to join an all-adult community acapella group that I'm the director of, you can go to topshelfvocal.com. It's a contemporary acapella group that makes all their own decisions and chooses what music they want to sing and arranges the music. And I help facilitate as a music director. Amazing. Uh, if you want That's to hear my good. voice, you can go to AaronSchumacherMusic.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-S-C-H-U-M-A-C-H-E-R music.com. You can hear me sing, you know, vocal real stuff, variety of styles. And I do recording work every now and then. The um, reels are great. And if you want to tap into my sound company uh, that's doing rentals and corporate audio speakers, mixing, all that sort of stuff, I have a handful of engineers that I've trained and are able to do larger events. Recently, the largest event we've done recently was an outdoor, you know, few thousand people event for The Grove um, featuring Rick Caruso as a, as a speaker, oh. which was really fun. And you can find that at asmproductions.net. Amazing. And yeah, that's probably about it. Is that
0: it. it? Aaron? it is such a joy to know you. And like I said before, it's just a joy to watch you just be and to just follow your passion and your interest wherever it takes you. I'm always like an eager audience for like whatever you are up to next. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks,
1: Emily. Love you a lot. You. Tell your boy I said hey.
0: I will. Okay, bye. How great to see say hi to Gabby. Bye. We'll Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, That's emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.